Welcome to the Sustainable Beef Podcast, brought to you by ABP. I'm your host, Adam Henson. I'm a beef and sheep and arable farmer from Gloucestershire, and we run the Cotswold Farm Park, which is open to the public all year round. In this, the second of three podcasts, we're talking beef and how farmers and the farming industry is working together to make its production more sustainable. What happens on farm matters when it comes to emissions reductions, because 78% of greenhouse gas emissions in the beef supply chain are linked to live cattle. In this episode, we have a fabulous lineup of guests. First up is the incredible Dr. Temple Grandin, the prominent author and speaker on autism and animal behaviour. We talk about how housing and handling system design can markedly improve animal welfare and performance. I thought I could fix everything with engineering. No, you can only fix half the problems with engineering. We then get practical, discussing the practicalities of carbon emissions reductions on farm with Liz Ford from ABP and farmer Mike Powley from near York. So the handling of cattle is central to our operations um, and therefore that's why we work very closely with Dr Grandin. Mike has a 100 head spring calving suckler herd. He fattens all his young stock on farm. Mike has recently switched from Limousin to South Devon Cross Norwegian Reds with everything mated to a Belgian blue sire. In terms of our carbon footprint, I think with a few quite simple changes, we could be a world leader. First, I speak to Dr Temple Grandin about why and how the handling of animals can reduce stress and improve performance, two of the factors that play their part in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. I started out in feed yards in Arizona and I just went around and handled a whole lot of cattle. And I noticed that they'd see a shadow and stop. They'd see a reflection and stop. And other people weren't looking at this. It was just obvious to me. Well, when I first started out, um, I didn't know I was a visual thinker. And that most people don't have the kind of visual thinking skills that I've got. Uh, you know, it's like a lot of things. You get into an industry because you've got exposed to it. And that originally happened on my aunt's ranch. I came from more of the engineering background. My first professional um, um, organization was the American Society for Agricultural Engineers. And I thought I could fix everything with engineering. No, you can only fix half the problems with engineering. And for you as an individual then, using your engineering skills and your visionary skills, what is it that makes a good cattle handling system? Well, cattle should go into the system easily. Now, one of the questions I had to answer when I first started, now that's a lot of years ago, it's like 50 years ago, does the cattle know they're going to get slaughtered? So I'd go back and forth between the swift plant, watch how they behave, then go down to the feed yards and watch them go up the races for vaccination. And I found they behaved the same in both places. If they knew they were going to get slaughtered, you wouldn't even be able to get them into the stun box. And then I looked up some of the research on stress hormone levels. And it varied from high to low, depending upon the quality of the handling. But it was the same range, both at the farm and at the plant. So obviously, they don't know they're going to be slaughtered. But handling is something we constantly have to keep monitoring. Tell me about some of the exciting projects that you've done over the years. And, you know, you've obviously worked in some, some large um, businesses and abattoirs as well as on farm. Well, I designed the front end of every Cargill plant in North America. And that was back in the late 80s and in the early 90s. I designed a piece of equipment called the Center Tractor Strainer. And then I start, got started to work for McDonald's and Wendy's. And... I developed a very simple way to audit the meat packing plants. 
most of these places were able to fix their problems with management, maintenance, and you manage the things that you measure. And in 1999, when I implemented that um, system, I saw more change and improvement than I'd seen in my whole career prior to that. Then about 10 years later, we started getting problems with cattle, coming in with difficulty walking, stiff, not wanting to move. This is what I call biological system overload. And you got to fix that problem out in the farm. I can't fix that at the plant. I have some really simple, very simple designs, simple little layouts that people can build. I've got one layout that just comes down an alley, come around, around, crowd pen, go back like this, sort of like a hairpin layout. That will fit really easily in a lot of your buildings. That's not hard. Just going back to the handling systems with a little bit more um, detail, what are, the, what are the pinch points when it comes to a, a handling system? First of all, you've got to have non-slip flooring. I cannot emphasize that enough. The other thing is cattle don't like to go into the dark. So lighting can have a big effect. You know, be observant. Where do your animals stop in the system? Like at our own experiment station, all of a sudden the cattle were stopping in the race and they wouldn't move. And I'm going, well, this is our experiment station. It worked fine the last time I was out here. Well, they put in a new propane tank and it was really shiny. The old propane tank was not shiny. Yeah, you see, you got to just look for little things like that. Tell me a little bit more about um, the way uh, an animal thinks, the way that cattle think and and what works for them. So not going into dark places, not shiny things, well, non-slip floor. What else? Well, when you lay out your facility, the most critical part is where the crowd pen funnels down to a single file. If that's laid out wrong, it won't work. We constantly have to just keep working on, on just basic things. Mm. And, and one of the things we learned in these audits that we did for McDonald's is there were some older slaughterhouses and we were able to make them work. It's amazing what a change in lighting can do. There were three plants out of the 75, This because this was through the whole U.S., that had to have a new front end rebuilt and was very expensive. But the others, it was amazing what a new non-slip floor just in the unloading area would do or right in the cattle handling facility itself. You got to look in your system, where do your animals stop? And then, and if you're calm, when your animal stops moving, it will look right at the thing it doesn't like. These cattle look right at the shiny propane tank. And for the staff working with cattle on farms and in abattoirs, you know, there's got to be a benefit for them moving slowly and in the right direction. Good cattle handling requires more walking to bring up small groups of animals. And you have to figure out what works in your facility. And I would estimate that on a lot of farms, the most cattle you should bring up at a time to line up in a single file race is maybe four or five. And in some farms, it's going to be three. Your work you, you've done and created and, and built over the years is, is animal welfare, animal handling, but presumably health and safety as well. Well, absolutely. Because cattle that have been mishandled are more likely to kick people. You know, that can be really dangerous. Well, a lot of people need to realize the animal you have to be the most careful with is a single lone animal separated from the other cattle. That's the animal that's going to end up putting people in the hospital. It's all upset trying to get back with its herd mates 
never get into a small pen with a single lone animal. The other problem is once cattle have gotten really fearful and excited, it takes half an hour to calm back down. So sometimes it might be a good idea to just take a break and walk away and leave them. No, you must never, ever leave an animal in a head restraint alone. Never. But uh, let's say you brought some cattle in from pasture and they got a bit excited. You might want to take a half an hour break, then handle them. They'll be easier to handle. Are you encouraged by um, the industry in the USA, but particularly here in the UK, that um, you're being listened to and your work is being um, continued and, and you know, coming to fruition here? It's much better than it was 20 years ago, that's for sure. And our industry associations have done a lot of work on trying to educating about low stress handling. There's quite a concern in the UK about American feedlots and the scale of those. And, you know, you're talking about grazing buffalo on wide open pastures. You know, what's your view on those sorts of systems? Over the years, they've been putting more cattle in the pens, which has caused problems with those cattle getting dirty. Um, this is, again, pushing a system too hard. Another thing that's an issue, I think there's a lot of um, heavy black cattle that need to have shade. They get hotter than some of the lighter colors of cattle. This is what I call bad becoming normal. It's a problem that slowly gets worse and people don't realize it. A lameness in beef cattle has gone way up. 20 years ago, we just didn't have problems with lame beef cattle. These are some of the big welfare issues. And these are things that need to be fixed. We, in my understanding, a lot of farmers here would feel that, um, you know, we've got some exemplary plants and systems here in the UK. Is that you your do. experience? Yeah, you do have some. You also have very unique uh, land. Yeah, you need to keep the, your smaller supply chains. I cannot emphasize that enough. You've got to keep what you have. Coming up next is the conversation that I had with ABP's Liz Ford and Mike Powley. We cover a lot of ground about how practical changes to farms management, breed choice and feeding regime can play a positive part in reducing emissions. So the handling of cattle is central to our operations um, and therefore that's why we work very closely with Dr Grandin, benefiting from her knowledge and her wealth of experience to help design our layerages and handling facilities, both within our plants and at our demonstration farm as well. So that's included incorporating things like solid sides, minimizing noise by incorporating quiet activating gate latches, utilizing non-slip flooring, ensuring the lighting's correct so we can get a good flow of cattle through the system. And have you noticed some improvements? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, the cattle are much calmer. They appear happier. They walk through the system rather than trying to rush or blow through it without balking. Uh, there's less vocalisation, which indicates lower stress. And certainly we've seen the benefit within the meat quality in the end product as well. And is there something then from what you're practising on your farm, on your demonstration farm, but also within Ellesmere that farmers can take to their farms and, and use in their handling systems? Yes, yeah, certainly. It's about, you know, utilising 
what you have available to you, but trying to then incorporate the animal's natural instinct and build accordingly. So cattle handling facilities can actually be changed quite simply. Consider things like shadows and, uh, you know, shaded areas. Cattle tend to go from dark to light. Um, is there uh, obstructions such as hoses or, or things like that lying on the ground that can be moved, um, which will all help cattle flow? So simple things. It's walking through the system with a, with a cattle view in your mindset uh, pretending you're an animal going through, what would you what would you balk at? Liz, talk to me a little bit about um, th- the sustainability requirements for the beef industry, because it's something you've been involved with for years. It's certainly something that's becoming much more prominent over, over recent years with the government's challenge for net carbon zero. Um, so certainly it's it's rising up that agenda all the time. Um, and certainly there's there's increasing focus upon it. Ultimately, we know hand in hand that on-farm efficiencies is also has a really good impact environmentally as well. And uh, it's imperative that we can get that data on farm to be able to measure and manage what we are doing to become more efficient and keep striving forward. Um, So certainly if we have a, a good handling system, we can weigh regularly and just weight data alone can give us some fantastic information about where we are, where we're progressing monitoring daily live weight gains. So there's huge potential to collect that data and to use it effectively. Also things around uh, medicine use. um, So we can make sure if we're we're handling regularly, we've got accurate weights. We can make sure that we're administering any medicines that we need to do effectively. And also we can ensure that those animals are well well restrained also in the process to do that. And and what would you say are the the key pointers then when it comes to... Um, sustainability of beef herds. You know, you're talking about weighing animals to understand those growth rates. So getting them away quickly sounds like it's one of them. The more efficient our animals can grow, the better that has in terms of our input usage. And also we know that animals that grow on a good, even plane of nutrition also benefit in terms of meat quality. So it's a win-win situation. And I'm sure Mike will expand on this. The thing that I want to check all the time is the diets, make sure they are growing sort of on target to where I want them to be. Um, the breeding we've got here are very fast growing animals that um, we can get them sort of to finish weights at 13 months old. Um, so they, they, they need to sort of be motoring on all the time. And the, the red clover diets that we feed them are really important. So we, we need to just, to just to keep an eye on them all the time because it's okay if you're milking cows, you can see what's in the tank every day. But the only way to see, how, see what they're doing is to weigh them regularly. And when it comes to that feeding and, and the ration, you know, a lot of people are, are pointing the finger at grain-fed diets with a soya in from, you know, it's imported. Are you, are you looking more towards a grass system? The only feed I buy in is molasses. So we're growing red clover silage. We're growing spring beans in the rotation as a protein source um, and cereals. But the, the, the focus really is on really high quality red clover silage. Uh, that ticks the box every which way there is in terms of sustainability because there's no fertiliser required. Just to give you an example, our fattening heifers, when they come in in the autumn, uh, they'll regularly do a kilo and three quarters to two kilos a day uh, on that type of diet, and that's with about three or four kilos of barley. So they have the potential. It's just a case of monitoring that diet and, and getting it right for them, and the only way to do that is, uh, is by weighing them. And have you measured your carbon footprint? Yes, we have. The suggestion at the moment is that we may be very slightly negative. 
because we're doing no-till with the cereals, we've got the red clover, we've got the beans in the rotation, so it gives me a fantastic first wheats after those. Very low nitrogen usage on those wheats as well. And the fact that we're doing no-till means that we are sequestering carbon in the ground all the time. So we're doing everything that we can to uh, reduce our environmental footprint uh, and impact. And say so at the moment, the preliminary data that we've uh, looked at suggests that we are very slightly carbon negative. But we've a few things in the pipeline that we're going to try and tweak a little bit and see whether we can produce 120 beef cattle a year, a couple hundred tons of cereals and still save the planet. That's extraordinary. I couldn't imagine, you know, a beef herd with 120 suckler cows being, you know, carbon negative. I mean, that's top of the class, isn't it? Is that something you can sell? Can you get a premium for your product? Um, potentially, that's something that uh, I think ourselves and, and certainly our competitors would be keen to explore. There's lots of sort of issues around how we measure and prove it um, due to having the metrics correct. Um, but we do know that there's a, a quite high proportion of people that are cutting down on meat because of environmental reasons. And if they have the confidence that actually product within the UK is more environmentally friendly and can address some of those challenges to give them the confidence to eat that product, then it's a win all round for the industry. It is about singing about success, shouting about success and trying to fight off imported products that don't match up to our standards. You know, as an industry, that's quite a challenge. It certainly is a challenge. Um, we're always going to have cheaper imports or the threat of cheaper imports, but we have a very good high value product with environmental credentials behind it. And you're right, we do need to keep shouting about it. We need to keep explaining that um, and helping consumers understand the differences between British beef and beef produced across the world to different standards to ours. And it is about having that data, isn't it? To, to, to have the facts and figures at your fingertips in an understandable format for the consumer to be able to be rest assured that uh, you're telling the truth. Absolutely. It's always going to be a case of having to back up the claims that you make. There's an awful lot of work going on across the industry, but also within ABP to help create that environment for us to be able to validate these claims. Mike, what messages would you send out to those beef farmers who are listening to this podcast? What advice would you give them? Get yourself organised, get a set of scales onto the farm, monitor what you're doing. Even if it's just simply assessing the yields of grass, and once you've got a benchmark, a baseline, then you can sort of start to look at ways of potentially improving what you're doing. We already have a very, very good beef system here. You know, we are living on an island that has high rainfall and can grow grass really well. So we need to concentrate on growing the forages. Um, I think cereals are going to be, barley is going to be 150, 180 pounds a tonne again next winter. Can we really afford to be feeding that to cattle? Uh, or have we got better options? Liz, what about the consumer's expectation for welfare and maybe for the environmental impact of beef on the environment? Certainly in relation to welfare, our, our customers and our consumers expect nothing less than excellent welfare. To go hand in hand with that, our cattle deserve nothing less as well. So that's paramount and that's why we've invested very heavily and we take welfare very seriously as a business. And in terms of the environmental credentials, we understand the importance and the growing importance of that with consumers. So it's clear that we need to play a part. We need to work with our producers 
to deliver and to continue to deliver a product that meets those environmental credentials and support the information that goes out along with it to give customers that trust in the product that they're buying. And if we can also now start to focus on our green credentials, so in terms of our, our, our carbon footprint, I think with a few quite simple changes, we could be a world leader. As I understand it, the average kilo of beef in this country has half the carbon footprint of a piece of uh, South American or Australian beef. And that's a massive figure. I think the difference is with sort of 22 kilos over here to 44 uh, from South America. So these are really massive figures uh, and can make a huge difference to the planet. We can improve that further as a, as a national industry as well. We know there's lots of inefficiencies here and there. They're quite simple to sort out, really. We've got a fantastic product and it's world leading. And I think we've got the opportunity to keep it in that position. We just need to get that message over to the consumer now. I hope that you've enjoyed the conversation in this episode as much as I have. In the British Isles, we're already producing some of the most environmentally positive beef in the world. However, like every industry, we have more gains that we can make. There are so many practical and doable changes we as farmers can make to play our part, many of which we've talked about today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Beef Podcast, brought to you by ABP. I'm Adam Henson. Join us next time for a conversation with Professor Chris Reynolds from the University of Reading, Andrew McLeod, ABP's farm manager at their Bromstead farm, and Professor Nigel Scollin from the Queen's University Belfast. If you'd like to listen to the previous episode of the Sustainable Beef Podcast, or the third and final episode in this series, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>